Hello, and welcome to The Teachable Nurse, a podcast where I speak to nurses from a variety of specialties and stages in their careers. I am Morgan Lima, a writer and registered nurse. I started my blog, The Teachable Nurse, in the middle of 2021, and since then have grown a community of curious nurses willing to explore the vast array of opportunities nurses have when it comes to their careers. Today, I am excited to welcome Michelle Zerker to the podcast. Michelle is a registered nurse who has worked in the home health field for seven years. Today, I'm going to ask her about all things home health nursing related in hopes of gaining a better insight into a specialty of which I know very little. So Michelle, welcome. Hi. So something that I would like to do before we jump in is play a little icebreaker game called Two Truths and a Lie, Nursing Edition. Um, For those who haven't played Two Truths and a Lie, or if it's been a while, it's where I will say three facts about something and two of them will be true, one will be a lie, and Michelle will have to guess which one is a lie. And since this is a nursing podcast, we are going to start off with the mother of modern nursing, Florence Nightingale. All right, here we go. The first fact is that her parents forbade her to pursue nursing. The second fact is she contracted cholera during her time in Crimea and never fully recovered, eventually resulting in her death in 1910. And the third fact is she organized the first formal nurse training program at St. Thomas Hospital. I'm pretty sure her parents said no to nursing. It wasn't really like an honorable profession. Um, And I'm pretty sure she did not contract cholera because she was kind of the queen of asepsis. Yeah, that is correct. So she did not contract cholera. In fact, she actually contracted Crimean fever, and that was in her 30s. And she had these kind of leftover effects from that throughout her lifetime and would battle different illnesses throughout her life. And then she would pass away at age 90 in 1910. So well done. Thanks. That's a pretty long time to survive after having a fever. So, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, Michelle, um, I'm so excited that you're talking to us today. And I'm really excited um, that other people are going to get to hear about your experience as a home health nurse. Now, I know that's not the only um, area you have experience in. And so, I'd just like you to give a little bit of background about your nursing career, your education, what credentials you hold, everything like that. So I, um, actually nursing is my second profession. I was a foster care counselor and went back to school to become a nurse. I did an accelerated nursing program. I got my BSN and was an RN for six years before I went back and got my master's of science in nursing. Um, My focus is in administration and executive leadership. Um, and then as far as like my work experience, I started in med surge because that's what you did when I graduated from nursing school, everyone did it. And, um, so I did med surge and then I moved my way into critical care, which I really, really loved. Um, and then 
critical care just kind of started to weigh on me a little bit. So I picked up a fun PRN home health job that I thought I would work here and there. Teach in a couple of different programs. I still teach foster parents, medication administration here in the state of Tennessee. And then I teach nursing courses as well as caregiving courses. So a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Wow. That's awesome. I think it's, I, I think it's so cool that you kind of discovered this love for home health through taking up a PRN job, because I feel like so many times those are, um, jobs that we as nurses pick up here and there just to supplement our income. But it's also a really good opportunity to explore what all is out there without making any scary life changes or commitments in that time. Um, you mentioned that you did med surge nursing right off the bat. Um, do you feel like people who are in nursing school right now and they would like to explore home health as a profession, do you think right out of nursing school, it's beneficial to work on a floor before doing um, home health? So as um, I've served as a manager, as well as a field clinician, and a field clinician is kind of the nurse that goes out that's hands-on. And we can talk more about it later, but the RN role is different than the LPN role. So they're two totally different jobs. And then um, we actually won't hire new grad nurses. You must, yeah, that's just one of the requirements of the job that you must have some experience because you're on your own. And that doesn't sound so scary until you're on your own and you have no cell phone service and your patient is bleeding or has a sudden change in condition or has a handwritten note from the doctor to remove staples, sutures, complex wound care, et cetera. Yeah. You have to have at least one year's experience in an acute care setting. Gotcha. And that makes sense with the amount of skill set you need, not just critical thinking and assessment, but literal technical nursing skills like suture removal, pick line care, things like that. Well, when I was in nursing school, home health was presented as, and I quote, where nurses go to retire. So it was presented to me in nursing school as this job where you just put band-aids on, you do assessments, you do a lot of paperwork, but there's very little clinical care happening. And I think I started home health just at the perfect time. So it was beginning to get very complex when I started home health and they needed my skill set. So it went from putting band-aids on, doing assessments, providing in-home care to pick lines, um, NG tubes, pumps, wound vacs, just very complex tracheostomies ventilators, just complex nursing care in the home setting. So I did not expect to be as clinically challenged as I was in home health. I initially took it really for, I was just emotionally burnt out in the ICU and I took it for just kind of a fun, low stress so that I could go PRN in my ICU position and have enough income to survive. So I initially sought out the job for the low stress, less clinical environment, but then it kind of turned into something else. I will say uh, the pro, the big pro of home health nursing is it's very flexible. So your schedule, uh, your day-to-day schedule can be what you want it to be within a limit. So if you have patients that are willing to let you see them at 6 a.m., you can get started at 6 a.m. 
or if you are a single parent or a parent and you're responsible for drop-off and you can't start seeing patients until 9 or 10 in the morning, totally okay. You need two hours in the middle of the day to go to a doctor's appointment or take a child somewhere, perfect. Just schedule your patients around it. So you do work a very full day, but it's flexible. Like there's flexibility within your scheduling. Gotcha. And that's good to know, especially for a nurse who may be in a less flexible position, like in an ICU or on a med surge floor where the schedule is pretty much go, go, go. And very rarely do they get a lunch break. What are some practical things that you need to have as a home health nurse? The company that I work for, you have to have your own car. You have to have full coverage car insurance. You have to be licensed as an LPN or an RN in the state of Tennessee. So, and you have to have one year worth of acute care experience. So those would be like the only must haves for home health. I think some of the things that make you more desirable. So there's an OASIS certification that you can get. And that's the um, assessment that we complete on all the patients and wound care ostomy certifications make you very desirable in home health because we do so much wound care and ostomy care and you're doing it on your own. Gotcha. That's really good to know. Cause I know that a lot of nursing, you know, disciplines like the one I'm currently in in infectious disease, you know, certification is not required. It's appreciated, but not even necessarily um, recommended for, you know, a promotion, but in other areas, it's very much required almost. Um, And so I guess when considering different career pathways, it's important to understand, you know, this is what's expected of you education-wise and continuing education-wise. What does a typical shift for you look like when you're doing your home health nursing, going out to multiple patients a day? and seeing them? So my day actually starts the night before, ideally, um, as long as everything works as it should. And the night before, I will update my tablet. I have a tablet, a device. It's a Samsung tablet that we use. That's what most people use, but it's just a little, you know, an iPad would do the same thing. It has the software on it. So I update my tablet and I see who I'll scheduled for the next day. And in looking at that, I can see what type of visit it is and different visits take different amounts of time. So you can kind of get an idea for how long your visit's going to take. I can see where the patients live and we actually have a program where it will map out all of your visits for the day to tell you the most efficient route between visits and how long it will take you to commute from patient to patient. So the night before I get all of that information, I try to make a schedule and then call my patients to go ahead and schedule with them the night before. It's a little different than working in the hospital, right? When you work in the hospital, they are there until someone gives them discharge orders. Home health patients are technically considered homebound, but that doesn't mean that they cannot leave their homes. So they are still living life. They may have doctor's appointments or need to get to the grocery store or have company and they don't want the nurse there while they have company. So I try to get them scheduled the night before. And then the morning of, I have to update my tablet again to see if anything changed overnight. So did someone go to the hospital? 
and I didn't get informed about it? Or did someone call the office before I checked my tablet and say, hey, I can't be seen. That nurse left a voicemail, I can't be seen tomorrow, and they moved them to the next day on my schedule. So that morning, you have to do all of that again. Um, try to call the ones that you couldn't get a confirmation out of the night before, and then head out either to the office. So if I have paperwork or specific supplies that I need, I'll go to the office first, or to my first patient visit. And then you complete your first visit. There's a lot of contacting of providers that happens in the home or in the car between visits. And then you continue with your visits and contacting providers, getting orders, updating things as much as you can. You have to drop labs sometimes. You're on the phone in your car a lot. So you have to do that safely and legally. So you have to figure out, make sure everything's connected through your car and that you have your information right there handy because you're going to need like your patient's name and date of birth. So I keep a little notebook with all my information in it so that I know which doctor is calling me back about which patient. And then um, I might stop back at the office at the end of the day if I need supplies or need to drop off paperwork or speak with the manager. And then um, I go home and I wrap up charting, which can take a little while once I get home. And then you start organizing for the next day. So calling again, getting your route kind of figured out. Um, some nurses take a lunch break in the middle of the day. I like to maximize my day into as little of a time as possible. So I'm a big peanut butter jelly eater. I just pack my PB and J. I eat that in the car between patients. Uh, but you can, like I said earlier, if you need an hour in the middle of the day, you can schedule your patients around that most of the time. Awesome. Thank you. Um, when thinking about pros and cons of inpatient versus outpatient or any other sort of discipline in nursing, I always get asked what the on-call schedule is like or what is holiday scheduling like. So take me through a little bit of what that looks like in home health. So any major holiday when the office is closed, someone has to take call. And this has evolved over the years. And really now, I don't mind it at all. Used to, I was the person on call. So we have a, a switchboard. When they call the office number, it says, I'm a patient and I need somebody. They call the switchboard. An unlicensed person, not medical professional at all, then patches them through to my cell phone. I have no idea who's on the phone. They have just called me. It shows up from a Louisiana number because our company's based in Louisiana. And Somebody, I'm like, this is Michelle. How may I help you? Well, mama isn't breathing. I'm like, okay, so who are we talking about? Do you need to hang up and call 911? I have no idea of anything. Well, now we have a whole team of triage nurses that take the calls. We have a text system, you know, a secure system that we get messages through and it will say, Mr. Smith needs an RN visit today. I'm scheduling it now and give you like the whole rundown of what's going on and why they need an RN visit. Looks a little different these days. Um, and it's really not bad. My phone doesn't ring hardly at all ever. Used to, I had no information. I was just going blind. Somebody's family member or a patient was patched straight through to my cell phone. Um, on the weekend, so typical call schedule, nurses, I would say it's totally normal to have one weekend a month where you take call as the RN or an LPN. We have both on call at the same time because different patients need different things. 
So if you're on call for the weekend, it's from when the office closes on Friday until it opens back up on Monday. Like I said, now we have those triage nurses, but any new admissions that need to be seen over the weekend. So patients who get discharged late on Friday, we have 24 hours from discharge to get the patient seen and admitted for home health services. So if they get discharged late on Friday, I have to see them on Saturday, or if they get discharged on Saturday, I have to see them on Sunday. And that's just part of how home health works. Home health patients are high risk for rehospitalization. That's why they need home health. So somebody really needs to go help them and make sure that they're even safe to be at home. So any um, admissions that need to get done, I would do that over the weekend or on holidays. And we take, I work with a great team. So we all take turns on the holidays and the weekends. And so we kind of, and I've worked with the same people for a long time. So we sort of have it worked out who's taking what holiday. Like I don't mind to take Christmas day. So I usually take Christmas day and the day after, but I don't want to take Christmas Eve. Got it. So it sounds like there's some flexibility there. I'm wondering, you said that sometimes you'll have to go check on a patient or do an intake on a weekend. Has there ever been a time where you've shown up to a patient's house, you take one look at them, and you say you're going back to the hospital? All the time. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, and on the weekends, it's especially tough because sometimes it's something that if it was Tuesday, I could call the doctor let's say the patient didn't qualify for oxygen while they were at the hospital, but now that they're home and they're back in their environment and maybe they don't have air conditioning. I work in a very rural area. They would definitely Mm -hmm. qualify for oxygen and they're not going to be able to stay safely. So if it were a Tuesday, I could call the doctor, give them the vital signs where I walked the patient around, get an order for oxygen, get it out there that day. But on Saturday, the office is closed. You can't do that. Same thing with, we get a lot of orders for, to check uh, coagulation levels. So patient had heart surgery. They've been put on a new medication that requires monitoring of coagulation levels. And I get out there and it's critically high. Mm. I have to send them back to the hospital because I don't have a doctor to call to do anything about it. So it's something that on a Tuesday could have probably be handled with a doctor call on a Saturday. They got to go back to the hospital. Gotcha. How is that stress level compared to when you were working in the ICU? It's a different kind of stress. So in the ICU, you have, and especially med surge, you know, you have a lot of patients that need you at the same time. Home health, you have a busy day and you have a lot of decisions to make that you may not necessarily be able to get into touch with someone to get an order for. And, but when you're with your patient, you're with your patient. There's Mm -hmm. no call light. I do have my cell phone and it does sometimes ring, but if I have cell phone service, but you know, there's nobody yelling for you. There's no call light. There's no meetings. There's no training to try to get squeezed in, in the middle of patient care. There's no code blues. It's like, it's just you and your patient. And so I love that undivided attention kind of relationship and kind of talking about how it is just you and them in their home. How much support do you have from your team, from supervisors? Who can you call when you are in a pickle, basically? Well, you have a ton of support if you can get in touch with someone. 
So we rely on our cell phones and which means that my patients have my cell phone number because everybody has caller ID these days. So they know who it is calling them. So everybody has my cell phone number. So they might try to contact me even when I'm not on call. But if your phone works or if you have access to a landline, you know, you can get someone usually. It may not be the doctor, but I can get my supervisor at the office and then she will start trying to get in touch with the doctor while I provide patient care. So if you can get someone, I have plenty of support. They'll walk you through anything. We have a ton of patient education and nurse education downloaded onto our tablet. So how to do wound care, medication, safety issues, all kinds of things, how to use equipment, like common equipment that we see in the home health setting. If there's a problem with it, I have all of these manuals and stuff downloaded onto my tablet. So there are, but if it's an emergency and the doctor's office is closed and there's no way to leave a message, all you can do is send them to the hospital. And even during the week, a lot of doctor's offices might be closed for an hour during lunch, you know, and then I have to make that judgment oh, because I'm the one or yeah. Yeah. Or if I send them to the hospital. Gotcha. So a lot of responsibility. A lot. Yeah. So kind of shifting to after your shift, or I guess after you see a patient, what does documentation look like for you? So home health uses a specific documentation set. Um, In 1999, I think, or 2000, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services started requiring a standardized assessment, and it is called an Outcome and Assessment Information Set or OASIS. You'll hear it called OASIS as well. And we have to do that on all patients. It's technically for adult patients who would qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, which is a large portion of our patients. I would say greater than 90%. So we actually have to do it on all patients. It's the way our head-to-toe assessment is set up in the computer. So whether they're private pay or Medicare, we do this assessment. And it's over 100 questions for each patient. It's very discreet. It's standardized. Um, So that way, if you get home health with one agency versus another, the same standardized assessment has been completed by an RN. It has to be at least an RN to do that. And then Medicare and Medicaid services, CMS also uses that for a little thing called Home Health Compare, which is a website where the consumer can go on to try to give them more information about like outcomes for my patients and rehospitalization rates and that way they can compare the different home health agencies so it's a lot of documentation i would say that's maybe like the number one con of home health (laughs) is the documentation you get pretty quick at it but it can still if i'm in a patient's home for an hour doing a start of care assessment it will probably take me another hour and a half to two hours to chart after I get done. And is that compensated time? Is that part of your shift or is that outside of? So you get paid per visit as a full-time RN gets paid per visit in most situations for home health. So I get paid a lot more for a start of care visit or a visit because there's a few others that require that OASIS assessment. So anything that requires an OASIS assessment, I get paid significantly more because it's going to take significantly longer. What 
does your work-life balance look like for you if your patients have your cell phone numbers? Are they calling you outside of work hours? Definitely. Yes, they are <laughs> definitely calling. I, um, you know, I'll, I have a child and I'm busy and I have other jobs. So if I'm in the middle of something, I don't take a call. But if I'm where I can take a call, it's usually no big deal. It's something simple. Was I supposed to take the yellow pill or the blue pill? You put this bandage on me and now it's coming mm -hmm. off. What do I do? And if it's something that needs more attention, what I do is go ahead and direct them to call the call service. And then the triage nurse can get them in touch with the best person to handle that. So I just let them know like, hey, I'm not on call right now but I can get you in touch with who is on call and I just follow through and make sure that that all gets gotcha. done. That's a great boundary, I think. Cause I think, you know, us as nurses, we are constantly wanting to help people. We're constantly at the disposal of our children and our families and our friends. And I think it's hard to say no sometimes when patients need us outside of our regularly scheduled hours. And I think that's a cool um, way to handle that situation. Definitely. And home health is a situation where you really have to be a boundary setter in home health mm -hmm. because you're in the home with people. And what is it a big deal for me to stop and grab a gallon of milk? No, but ethically, like, should I be doing that? Or should I be investigating why can Bob not get milk? Is there no one to get it? If you need like meals on wheels, do I need to contact someone? But yeah, they'll totally ask you to stop and pick stuff up because you're in their home. You literally become part of their oh, family. Wow. Um, you're inside wow, their house, yeah. you know, and like you, if you're there for a long time, which patient, I've had patients with wounds that won't heal that I've seen four or five, six years and you see them three times a week. I see them more than I see my own grandparents. Wow. So you do have to just be able to set those pretty firm boundaries. Mm -hmm. That's cool that, you know, you take that and I feel like someone may have that request from a patient. Hey, can you pick this up and be like, well, no, you know, why don't take advantage of the fact that I'm coming, but you really investigate the, why are they asking me for that? There's something deeper under the surface. They're not just using me for convenience. There's something going on here um, that I need to investigate. And that's something that's a nursing skill. That's, you know, critical thinking and that's assessment. And that kind of leads me into a question I had about using the knowledge that you've learned in nursing school. What specific things, if anything, do you utilize most in the field of home health? I would think with the documentation that all those care plans that we did in nursing school would probably um, come into play a little bit. But if you could speak some to that. Yeah. So every single foundational skill that you learned in nursing school, even the ones you thought you were never going to see again, transferring, safety. I have to go through part of that OASIS assessment is just a safety check of the home. Are there mm. rugs that need to be moved? Did they let me move them? Do they need grab bars in the shower? That's a service that we have. I can get that set up for them. Do they have rails on their stairs? Just 
that safety assessment that I think we forget because the hospital is so set up for safety. It's impossible to forget to lower the bed, and you know, move everything out of the way. So basic foundational assessment skills as well as skill skills. So catheter insertion, lab draws, IV starts, wound care, bathing. I bathe patients. Sometimes they need assistance with bathing, toileting, all of those things. So in addition to that, I do actually care plan and my students hate to hear it. I'm the one who teaches about care plans and they hate it because they hate care plans. But I, as the RN, it's my job to go assess this patient, provide this huge assessment. And that assessment has to also match the hospital paperwork. And if it doesn't, I have to call someone and say, I'm here looking at this patient and their right leg had surgery, but your documentation says it was their left leg. And I have to document and get that changed on the hospital side and the doctor side so that Medicare pays everyone. So the care plans that I write, um, the LPNs, the, the physical therapy, occupational therapy, all the ancillary team, we all use the care plan that the RN writes. And if my care plan doesn't match my documentation, which also has to match the provider or the hospital documentation, we don't get paid. And what's really tough is we bill on the backside. So we provide 30 days or 60 days worth of services before we bill the patient. I mean, before we bill Medicare. Mm, Okay. So you're kind of like the one last stop between the patient care and the insurance. Well, there's a patient care manager So when I'm the field clinician, I write the care plan. When I'm the patient care manager, I'm in the office reviewing all of that to make sure that it all adds up. So yes, it's my eyes and ears on the patient and I'm the one providing documentation. It all has to match, but then it gets sent to the patient care manager and they just double, triple, extra check everything before we submit it. Gotcha. And so sometimes you are the manager in the clinic. Is that or in the office, is that how people kind of move up in this field? How, how do promotions work within the home health field? I would say so. I would, I would say that usually you kind of transition into an office position and then you would move on up through management that way. Um, the patient care manager position isn't necessarily a higher paying position than a field clinician. So it's not always like just about money. It's about, you know, do you want to be out on the road in people's houses all day? Or do you want to be in the office? Are you physically able? When I was pregnant and breastfeeding, I tried so hard to keep seeing patients, but it was really hard to pump when your office is your car in someone's driveway. So I kind of, yeah. So I transitioned into an office position during that time, just because I wasn't physically able to be out in people's homes. So yes and no. Yes, that is usually how you transition up through the ladder into management. The manager position, you don't do patient care when you're typically, I did a little bit of both always, but once you move into that patient care manager role, you're not going out and seeing patients anymore. You're reviewing documentation. You are bartering with insurance companies. You're taking orders. You're serving that field staff because as field staff, they might have service right now, but they may not in 30 minutes, or they may have left a message at a doctor's office 
but they're going to do a wound vac dressing change. That's going to be a sterile procedure. They're not going to be able to take the call. So we'll have the office managers kind of enter, or I can't find Fred. Where is Fred? I've called him. I've knocked on his door. I've called his secondary and tertiary contacts. Like, is he dead? Is he in the hospital? Can you help me find him? So you do a lot more investigating, talking to doctors, getting orders, making sure everything lines up when you're in that patient care manager role and a lot less hands-on patient care. Do you prefer one over the other? I love them both. I will say going from critical care to home health, I was shocked at how many lives you can change and save without actually touching a patient. So, you know, I Mm. came from beat the life back into them, get them transferred down to the floor, send them home, you know, cardiac arrest, like major critical emergencies to getting someone a ramp at their house change their life. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I know that sometimes that's the only way um, patients are allowed to go home is if they have stuff set up or the promise that something's going to be set up for them that, like you said, like a ramp, like something that's going to help them walk into their home and be able to get out of the hospital and recover at home. I think that's awesome. And I think that's not something that we just as a society think of as the frontline um, healthcare workers when we think of those who are saving lives every day. And it's good to remember that and to acknowledge that they, that people who are making those calls to insurance companies and to doctors and staying on hold for hours, because I have colleagues who do that as well, they are just as important. That job is just as important. And um, they play just as big a role as the nurses who are, like you said, pounding on the chest, giving resuscitation. Um, That's really important. What three characteristics of a home health nurse do you consider the most important? And this can be like technical skill set. This can be just personality traits. So, I mean, you have to be confident and competent in all of your skills. It never fails. You're going to get out there and they're, they're going to have a handwritten order from the doctor for something insane. Um, Pluravac, chest tubes, you name it. I've seen it just with no prior warning. Um, But I think like personality wise, the number one thing is you have to be flexible. You never know what your day is going to look like. You have six patients. They've all agreed. You get to patient number three and nobody's there. You know, so you have to like be able to roll with the punches um, and be very flexible. You have to communicate very well because you are relying on a whole team to get things done because you can't be in someone's house doing a sterile dressing change and also taking care of the patient that you saw an hour ago. So you have to communicate really well and you have to manage your time very well, or you will just get burnt out and exhausted. And if you don't get that charting done, then you're going to be up till 11 o'clock at night trying to get it done. So you have to manage your time really well. That kind of ties into my next question, which is what are your three ideal qualities in a coworker? Like if you could craft your perfect co-home health nurse, 
what would that person look like? So again, with the flexibility, like yeah. I cannot, I, I cannot tolerate like when someone's day gets sideways and they, their whole day is ruined. Like mm. home health is the kind of job where you really have to be like, like take a deep breath yeah. and move on. Um, yeah. So they definitely have to be flexible. And then there's a really fine line between independence and collaboration with home health. Because if I'm the nurse primarily seeing a patient and you go in and change my orders every time you go, without discussing it with me, I'm going to be frustrated, but I also don't need you to call me every time the patient has a new scrape and needs a bandaid, you know? So, um, those are two of the big things and you have to be very genuine to be a home health nurse. Mm. You are in people's homes. You are in their lives. We transition a lot of our patients to hospice. Um, we see them over and over and over again. And when you're in their home, it's so much easier to understand how they become frequent flyers versus when you're in the hospital because you see their global environment and they may not have support. You know, you've seen them at the hospital 16 times for a hypertensive emergency and you go in their house and they're eating uh, canned emergency food because Mm. that's all that they have access to. Uh, So you, you think about things like what can they get at the food bank? And a lot of times it's not heart healthy. Mm-hmm. So you just have to be really genuine and you have to think outside the box and problem solve really to be a home health nurse. I feel like that gives good perspective to someone who's like myself, who has not done home health nursing, who um, has done acute nursing. And like you said, we see a lot of quote frequent flyers and sometimes it's hard as nurses to understand why this person in hypertensive crisis keeps getting admitted when they know they they are competent enough to know what not to do and it can be frustrating as healthcare workers to see patients continue to suffer it's frustrating for the patient to have to come back into the hospital and that's good perspective to realize that there are things sometimes beyond their control um outside of the hospital in their environment. Yeah. And I work primarily in the upper Cumberland area, which is like 14 counties east of Nashville. Mm. And it's a very proud people like rural Appalachia are very proud people. So they're not going to come to the hospital and tell you that they can't read the label. They're not going to tell you that they don't understand what sodium is. They don't know that that means salt. They're not going to tell you that they're relying on a food bank or rationed food. They're not going to tell you those or that they don't have a way to get to the doctor. Wow. And so when you're in their home, there's no not telling you because it's all right there. Like you're in their, their environment. So you can kind of figure more of that out and do a little more case management from that side. Yeah. And I think that's why documentation again is so important documenting, not, you know, thoughts, feelings, what opinions about the environment, but factually what you're seeing, smelling, hearing, because Mm -hmm. then the next time they're in the hospital, that information is then relayed and it's putting pieces of the puzzle together to understand this patient's entire situation. Yeah. So last nursing related question, what piece of advice would you give? You've already given a lot of advice and a lot of good knowledge. Um, and information just about home health nursing in general. Um, but what would you 
telenurs interested in a career in home health. If they're um, kind of going through nursing school and they're thinking, this is something I want to get into, but they haven't really started their outside of nursing school, nursing career yet. I think just get some acute care experience and then try to shadow. So fortunately right now I get to take students on a home health visit so that they get to do one home health visit with me. So they kind of get an idea. It's definitely not a full day, but they get to at least go into one patient's home and kind of see what we're working with, but shadow someone in your area. I have worked in the metro area as well as in rural areas, and it's just a totally different ballgame. So out in these rural areas, I have 30 minutes between patients to catch my breath, to decide that I'm having a good day, to process what just happened, to get in touch with the doctor and move on. But if you're in a more urban area, you may have six patients in the same building. So you're just, you're, it's not like the hospital, but like apartments, like you're just walking down the hall. Oh, crazy. So it just, it's different in different places. So I think like if it's something that you thought was a fit for you, definitely shadow and see what it's really like in your area. That's a good point to get experience in the different settings to get that full picture, like urban versus rural. Some rural areas I know you have patients spread out far and wide. Is there a maximum amount of distance you're allowed to travel as a home health nurse? Like how far away is your farthest patient? So different offices will have different um, certificates of need for different counties. So my office is in a rural county and we cover 14 counties. So we could have to drive a really long way, but the Metro office only covers four counties because it is more congested. More people live closer together. So it, it again, depends on the office, how far you might have to drive in a day. But also, I mean, the scheduler has to take that into account when they're scheduling your visits. If your visits are two hours apart, you're not going to see a lot of patients. Well, thank you for answering those questions. Um, I have a couple of non-nursing questions for you. So outside of nursing, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do? I like to be outside. So whatever that looks like, um, I garden, I hike, I have canoe and kayaks. So just as much outside as possible. Have y'all been able to beat the heat doing any water? water activities or anything? Uh, we just went to Wyoming. Well, there you go. Left. You can literally <laughs> beat the heat by leaving. <laughs> yes, that's what we did because it has been oppressive and you've not been able to be outside in it no. at all. It's been too much. So. so I think as nurses, there's a tendency, I at least I myself have experienced this, to kind of find my identity in being a nurse. So the first thing I think of when I think of who I am as a person sometimes is Morgan the nurse. When I think it's actually really important that we as nurses explore what our other identities are grounded in. So my question for you is, other than being Michelle the nurse, who are you as a person? Man, I'm a mom to a three-year-old who's a very busy buddy. Um, <laughs> I'm, don't tell anybody, but I'm my grandparents' favorite, so I'm Great. very close with my grandparents. Not going to tell anyone on this podcast at all. <laughs> yeah, don't tell. You guys don't tell. Um, and then, like, I also teach, and I love that. Like, I've found 
a lot of purpose in teaching. So I really initially went that way for a more convenient schedule and I found a whole lot of purpose in it. So I love it. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I know I've learned so much just from talking with you um, these past 45 minutes. And I hope that other people find this podcast and can hear a little bit of real practical wisdom about nursing. Because I think that that's kind of lacking in formal education, which makes perfect sense. But I think it's important that people get this kind of firsthand perspective of someone who's on the ground doing it every day. And yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so happy to share with you guys. Thank you. Um, So yes, thank you for listening. And just so that everyone knows, I'll be doing um, interviews like this with nurses from different disciplines. And if there's a specific type of nurse that you would like me to have on the show, you can send me a DM on Instagram. My handle is at the teachable nurse, all one word. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Teachable Nurse. Just a reminder to subscribe if you haven't already so that you'll be the first to know when a new episode drops. You can listen to The Teachable Nurse anywhere that you listen to podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram and visit my website, www.theteachablenurse.com.